Well, we are in this season of Epiphany in which we lift up stories of Jesus' life as he kind of grows into himself, a little bit more of his origin story, what it was like for him and for others as he began to move into the world around him in the fullness of his identity as a teacher, as a healer, and as God's word. He will teach today, but he will also teach us more of what the point of the teaching may be. We will meet a man with an unclean spirit who arrives at synagogue on the Sabbath, which is a bit of a mismatch. Jesus and the demon seem to know what the real challenge is, though. So listen. They came to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, throwing him into convulsions and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Some of you know that earlier this month I was able to go home to see my parents, some, and to be in my hometown, which I really had not been since the pandemic. In the city I grew up in, New Haven, Connecticut, there is a pretty lively interplay between the ivory tower of Yale, the Hogwarts of it all, with all the neo-Gothic towers and gates walling off random city blocks of what is otherwise a pretty normal New England city with all of its gifts of art, of industry, of inequality, and of struggle. Yale will take credit for the art and the industry, not so much the later two. Crossing the border between those two parts of the city actually happens often. It's not a very separated experience. But it all does feel very controlled. For a little while, it didn't and everybody got very nervous. It does feel pretty controlled, except, of course, when it doesn't. People are homeless in New Haven. There are tent encampments there now, just as there are in Portland. People work hard and physical jobs, serving those at the tops of ivory and steel towers, scraping by just to live there. People who cannot find a home or community or belonging are also there. And recently, being there, walking the streets, I realized there was a presence I hadn't thought of for a while. Throughout my life, there was one almost famous kind of intersection of these elements of New Haven. A person that those of us who spent a little more time on one side of that line just called Margaret and who the rest of town called simply the Shakespeare Lady. A woman who lived most often on the street, 
but who made her way in the world by reciting, entirely from memory, really performing Shakespeare, right there on the street in front of restaurants or a bank, in the crosswalk, and there was Lear, or Hamlet, or Beatrice, or for folks who really knew it was up, a sonnet. Bizarrely, though they intersected in New Haven decades later, Margaret Holloway, was her full name, was born the year after my dad in the same town of Albany, Georgia. She was among one of the first classes of students to integrate Albany High School. My dad was a sophomore, and I think Margaret was a freshman. She made her way to Bennington for college, and then to the Yale School of Drama, where she studied acting and directing for the stage. Until it all fell apart. It is unclear what was violence, what was abandonment, and what was neurology in the great unwinding of Margaret's life. Having lived through segregation and desegregation, south and north, she was familiar with both aggressive and passive racism and certainly suffered from both of those. She experienced violent confrontations and assaults, some real, some a result of a growing schizophrenia, some coming in the wake of homelessness and drug addiction that all too often accompany some of those assaults of body and of mind. Margaret confessed that she felt that she had what she called tactile demons that constantly and violently assaulted her by all of her senses. Those demons made it hard, sometimes impossible, for Margaret to live a steady life. She would try to hold a job, but often the noises of her own mind, of her past, and of the world overwhelmed her. And she would end up back in the streets, and back with the words that seemed to lodge so easily in her head, and brought her some form of meaning and maybe comfort when they flowed through her. And so she would just walk the streets offering performances. When I was young and obnoxious, I would try to play, you know, stump the chunk kind of things, you know, call out a random scene from Shakespeare. See, she was always very good at saying, yeah, how about something similar? And (laughs) She lived in the shadow of the great institutions she had once occupied, and sometimes she was still welcomed. If you speak in the language of Shakespeare, sometimes we let you in a door but sometimes she was not because she didn't seem right. Just then, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. You see, in this time, Jesus' time, synagogues were likely not yet constructed buildings. They were more an assembly place. Synagogue here might define rather the gathered people of a village for worship rather than a structure. So maybe say, suddenly there was an unclean spirit in the midst of respectable society. And suddenly this mystical tale of exorcism starts to sound a little more familiar. More, the fact that he has an unclean spirit is to tell us more of his backstory. Unclean things in Jewish society, well, they need to be put out until and if 
they can be cleansed. Unclean things are cast out of the assembly, out of the community, out of the people. Seems like from the first part of this story, the way it would come to us, the way the people react, and like many of Jesus' healings, we are initially given a problem of location. A man with an unclean spirit is in a holy gathering. That's the problem. Rather than a problem of healing, there is a man with an unclean spirit which has bound him. How often do we shift our conversations from the need for healing and restoration to a story of what belongs where? As we over and over again in our area struggle with where tent encampments can be or can't be, how often do we get caught up in that argument and not in the argument the discernment of where all of this suffering is coming from. The demon that grips the man cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And the demon is speaking for an us. And maybe he means for the demon and the man he is bound, but maybe he also means this whole community. The man, his demon, this gathered people that had apparently decided that this is just how life is, that some people have their lives taken by demons And the best we can do is to keep them out of the center of town. Keep them out of polite society. Keep them out of sight. And this Jesus calls out the demon. And then, there is the man, the son, the brother of this whole community before them, exhausted and collapsed, But also, here he is after however long it has been acceptable to move him to the outside, to shun him, to reduce him to the issue of what is allowed where. And because of this Jesus, here he is, and they must reckon with the truth and the humanity and the fragility of him. There is a whole bunch more healing that is yet to be done when we leave this story. What does the next year of this man, this community's life look like? To all this, the crowd stands amazed because, well, it is amazing when somebody just responds to the issue at hand. Amazed was what people always were with Margaret on the streets of New Haven as she traded sonnets and soliloquies for dollars. She lived with demons and yet insisted on her belonging within the world. Sometimes I think she stayed in New Haven as a way of haunting the parts of her life that had so wronged her. King Hamlet's ghost walking the ramparts. Mostly, I think, all her performance and personality was her way of insisting, I belong here. This is my stage, my city, my home. I often wonder if there was some claiming and naming of her that might have eased her pain, brought her back to herself, brought us back to ourselves, silenced the demons. Margaret died May 30th, 2020, 
of COVID. Just as we were beginning to realize that the pandemic was going to impact most those communities that were already pushed to the margins. We are living in a frightful time in which so many folks are displaced in our society. We hear the story of folks who are really wrestling with demons of addiction, of mental health, poverty and homelessness, which just adds to addiction and mental health issues. We hear those stories of those who have had to flee violence or abuse. We hear the stories of those who have been cast out because of the holiness of who they are and the things that bind others. Those who have no place to belong because their families or communities of origin can't accept them for who they are. As we hear all too often of our LGBTQ siblings. Thank you, J&O. The gathered crowd responds to Jesus today, amazed, and to his teaching, particularly, we are told, because the teaching actually does something. It's not an academic exercise. It actually sets to right the divisions of self and belonging and community between this man, himself, his friends, the gathered people. The crowd, like we are, was far too comfortable sometimes in trusting in a teaching that analyzed and pondered and stroked the beard. What was holy, what was unclean, what was in and out, what belonged and what was bewitched. How often are we lulled in kind of quiet muttering over things? when rather we're being called into relationship. We are today the followers of this teaching of Jesus. It does have, yet, the authority to move, to free, to bind up in belonging. It will heal us, yet, if we can move from our amazement to sharing it. We say here that we are a place connecting to God, nurturing community, discovering our callings. The nurturing community is, it sometimes sounds nice, sometimes sounds cozy. Sometimes I think we think that it kind of happens just here. We are, in fact, community. Thank you. But today, I think that there is another challenge to us of how we nurture the community with those who have been told they do not belong in community. So thanks be to God that you nurture community here in this place with each other. Thanks be to God for the ways in which it heals what ails and binds us all too often. Our own demons, our own insistence that our troubles are our own, that we are isolated or alone, that all our fear is justified. Thanks be to God for the ways in which Christ arrives still and names all those things which harm us and separate us and calls us back to belonging with one another and with God, reminds us that nurturing community is no simple sweet thing. It is a matter of life and death, of angels and demons, of despair and the hope that can overcome it, because that community, belovedness, and belonging can save us when all seems lost. Thanks be to God for the gifts of holy friendship here, 
or as Margaret would tell us, when in disgrace with fortune in men's eyes, I all alone beweep my outcast state and trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries and look upon myself and curse my fate. Wishing me like to one more rich in hope, featured like him, like him with friends possessed. Desiring this man's art and that man's scope, with what I most enjoy contented least. Yet in these thoughts, myself almost despising, haply I think on thee, and then my state, like to the lark at break of day arising, From sullen earth sings hymns at heaven's gate. For thy sweet love remembered such wealth brings. That then I scorn to change my state with kings.